0: ask that you take out the message notes that are in your uh, worship guide there and we are going to go to the second chapter, uh, the second chapter of Philippians and uh, this has been such a wonderful chapter to study on Wednesday nights but also on Sunday morning and uh, just to read it every day and I, I put a I put a little uh, guide in your notes for what we're studying when and these are the passages also that we're reading every day. So every day this week I would encourage you to read the second chapter of Philippians. It'll take you uh, about two minutes to read through that entire chapter and I I really believe that this is if not the greatest uh, passage of scripture that the Lord allowed the Apostle Paul to write. Of course we believe that Uh, The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, who is one with God, um, indwelled and moved the Apostle Paul to write these words. And so we do not believe that these are words from men. We believe that these are the very words of God given to us through men, but but given to us from God. And so Philippians chapter 2 gives us, a window into what God was wanting to speak to the church at Philippi, but it also gives us a window of what He wants to say to us as well. These are words that are just as true today as they were back then, the first century, uh, in a Roman context. Um, in fact, there are still ruins. I was able to go to this area of the uh, area of Greece, uh, modern day Greece, uh, a few months ago. And uh, and it's just remarkable to see how many ruins and how many cities uh, there are still uh, from the first century. Um, there are still ruins uh, in Philippi. There are still um, there's a massive uh, ruin. In fact, some of the greatest ruins in, in Philippi uh, are are these Roman edifices and 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 incredible builds that they did not have the technology that we had today, but uh, that we have today, but they, they did their best and they were proud of it. In fact, one of the things that's interesting about this context is the church at Philippi was extremely proud, the people in that church were extremely pat- proud to be a part of the Roman Empire. Um, they were so proud to be called Romans. Rome had done so much for their city. Rome had built so many great things. Rome had made their city comfortable. Rome, Rome had brought their city out of out of poverty into uh, just a wonderful thing and they had running water. They had all of these conveniences because they were now a Roman city. They were proud to be Roman, and uh, they were proud to have the uh, bald eagle as their symbol, which is our symbol today as well. They they had this patriotism as Romans. And Paul throughout this letter is going to tell them, wait a second, that's not bad. In fact, he never tells them, hey, it's bad to be proud that you're Romans. That wasn't the point. The point was, he said, there's actually some other parts of your heart and mind that are be over, being overwhelmed with pride that is actually being self-destructive in a way. And And, and, and I think it's Fun to be patriotic. I, I I love living in America, and I, I I'm I'm a very patriotic person. I, I think that sometimes uh you know some people are really really patriotic. You know those people that wear T-shirts like this, okay, that say America on them, right? Uh you know back to back World uh, War champs. You know what I mean uh you know so so some people are really patriotic. Other people uh, don't wear a T-shirt, but they do they you know, get their patriotism out on, uh, on maybe a, a canvas or, or a, a, a picture like this. Um, th- by the way, um, maybe this is accurate. I don't know, but this, I don't think so. Uh, but everyone kind of expresses their patriotism a little differently. And in this context, he's saying, be patriotic by all means. Uh, celebrate the, the, the citizenship you have here on earth. But don't forget that earth is not the end let me just say to our church today and, and and to everyone here earth is not the end that there is an eternity waiting after our brief time here on earth now you say as some of my friends have said in the past well I I just don't believe that. I, I, I just believe that we sit in the grave. And to you, I would say that the evidence points otherwise. But listen, even if you sit in the grave, I truly believe that you need to make the most of the time that you're here on earth. And that the greatest way to do that is through the way that God has given us, by the way, in this passage of Scripture. Now, this passage of Scripture is actually the thesis for every other part of the book of Philippians. Now, in order to try to explain that to you, uh, I, I couldn't. And so, uh, do it as, as well as uh, a, a pastor in Oregon did. So, I want you to watch right now, kind of a breakdown. It'll be about 60 seconds, but a breakdown of the book of Philippians, okay?
1: Paul's letter to the Philippians. The church in Philippi was the first Jesus community Paul started in Eastern Europe. And that story is told in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of retired soldiers and it was known for its patriotic nationalism. And so there Paul faced resistance when he was announcing Jesus as the true king of the world. And after Paul moved on from there, those who became followers of Jesus continued to suffer resistance and even persecution. But they remained a vibrant community faithful to the way of Jesus. Paul sent this letter from one of his many imprisonments and for a very practical reason. The Philippians had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to take a financial gift to Paul to support him in prison. And Paul sent back this letter with Epaphroditus to say thank you and to do a whole lot more. The design of this letter doesn't develop one single idea from beginning to end like many of Paul's other letters. Rather, Paul has arranged a series of short, reflective essays or vignettes. And they all revolve around the center of gravity in this letter, which is a poem in chapter 2. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, and exaltation. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul will take up key words or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. So let's take a minute and read that poem.
0: If that's the key, if that's what unlocks every other part of this passage, let's read it, okay? Because we're not here to study what our own philosophies are. We're here to learn what Jesus said and, and, and what the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul. So this is the, the poem, and I'm going to start in verse number 5, and I'm going to read down through verse number 7, okay, um, and, and verse number 8, actually. And, uh, and then we'll go back to the beginning and we'll kind of work, work our way through it. It says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Now, when it says he humbled himself, what he's using there is a word that he's going to tie through the rest of chapter 2. And in fact, the first time this exact same word is used is up in, in verse number 2, when he says, um, therefore, verse number 1, I'll, I'll, so you kind of get the, his context, therefore, if any uh, consolation in Christ uh, any comfort of love, so if there be any of these things, if Christ is supporting you, if, if, if there's any comfort from the fact that Jesus uh, is, is in control, that he's powerful enough to, to love you, even when you don't love yourself, um, if any fellowship of the Spirit, meaning the, you're working with the Spirit to get things done, uh, that's, by the way, the process of grace. If any bowels, okay, so we would use that physically. He's using it metaphorically, spiritually to say compassion, compassion empathy, uh, and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. He said, nothing would, be, nothing would make me more joyful th- than if ye be like-minded. Well, what do you mean like-minded? Well, having this mind, that's in chap- chapter 2, verse number 5. This mind that Jesus had, like-minded, the same love, so the same love that Jesus used, you use. And then he says, being of one accord Of one mind, do you see there's a theme kind of uh, starting to surface? And then he says, here's where where it gets into our heart and mind. Let this mind, so you, okay, let this mind be without strife or vainglory, but in lowliness. So the word lowliness is the same word as the word humbled. It's the exact same word. In fact, let me tell you what word that is. It's it's this word that means meekness of mind, a self-abasement, but it's a perspective and an attitude and an action. Now, when we say we're going to have a revival weekend or we say we're reaching for revival, what does that mean? What that means in, in, in in this context is that we are trying to change both our attitudes and our actions. And by the way, there are a lot of churches that are trying to change action through just discipline or trying to change something. But you cannot change your action until you change your attitude. In fact, these are the two keys to revival, and they're in this passage. It's the change of attitude. It's the change of action. That is the process of revival. If you are going to revive anything, there must be a change in your mind, in your heart. There must be a change in your action. And let me just say something. Personally, I know a lot of you are praying and have set lots of things in in your heart and mind to do in 2020. But if it does not change in your heart, if your desires do not change, if your perspective cannot change, if something inside you does not change, something outside of you will not change, that your actions cannot change. Now, they can change for a little while. How many of you know you can kind of fake it for a little bit? But you will never make it unless your mind is renewed, unless your mind is revived. Let me put it this way. Our church will not be here in a couple years if we do not continually make adjustments. We have to continually make adjustments. By the way, I will not be married to my wife next year if I do not continue to change my mind about how I view my relationship. If I do not have a change in attitude, I will never be able to change my actions in order to have the relationship that I want. In, in, in fact, this is a remarkable quote, but, but, but one of the things that I've noticed through working with hundreds of couples is this. That humility, specifically humbling ourselves, having a change of mind about ourselves, humility is the oil that allows relationships the gears in the relationship to run smoothly. If you have a car, and there's some mechanics in here. I'm not a mechanic, okay? Um, and, and, and trust me, you do not want me working on your car, okay? Uh, so I will be glad to talk to you about anything. Uh, but if you bring up your car, I'm going to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got nothing, right? But the thing I do know is that I have to change my oil. Why? Because the oil uh, gives the gears in the engine, okay, whatever they're called, pistons or whatever, okay, um, I, I know the hubcats are on the outside, okay, I'm not, I'm not that bad, okay, so, 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 so the gears in the engine, okay, that, that oil pumps, it's pumping that oil, but our last church van Blew up in a plume of smoke, okay, when I was going home from, from, from uh, Travis's house. It was not his fault, okay, but I was going home from his house. And uh, man, a plume of smoke, and, and I'm like, what happened? And it just would not go. Why? Because there was no more oil for it to run smoothly. Your relationships were meant to run with the oil, with the lubrication of humility. Without humility, everything starts to break down. You say, great, <laughs> that's just great. Couldn't it have been something else? See, we want the, the, the oil or the fuel of our relationships to be happiness, not humility. God says, wait a second. You humble yourself, joy, which is better than happiness, will come. If you humble yourself, if you bring yourself down in order to get a better perspective, by the way, our natural tendency is to lift ourselves up to get a better perspective. Jesus said it's the opposite. Bring yourself lower to get a better perspective of every area of life. And so, there's just two points today, and the two are surrounding our attitude and interaction. So number one, I want you to see today, the first key to revival and the key to reaching for, for uh, humility is first reaching for a humble heart reaching for a humble attitude a humble attitude has to start in your heart a, 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 a attitude of humility must start in our heart if it does not start deep down now when you say heart on Sunday night we, we talked about that and I showed you one of these videos to break it down to say hey uh, the hearts in the Bible is not what pumps your blood okay it's the deepest part of your mind Okay, it is it is it is a four quadrant part of your mind that is both your your will where you make your decisions, uh, your mind where you think through and process things, um, your your uh, desires right where where you want things, your emotions right. So so all of these things are 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 fueling you. It's it's what makes you go. But humility must be a part of that in order for it to go the way that God wants it to. And so with a humble attitude, you must say, well, why Why is a humble attitude the key that unlocks every door? It is precisely because the, the danger of pride cannot be seen or perceived. So when I'm prideful in my relationship with Danielle, I cannot see my own pride. Now, she can see it okay? When I'm prideful with you, I do not see it. You can see it. How many of you have ever listened to a conversation of one-uppers? You ever been in that? It's like, oh yeah, well one time. It's like, whoa, 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 what's happening? I mean, unless you've walked on the moon, okay, you're going to lose that conversation to someone, right? Because someone's always done something better than you. So, so it's the battle of pride. Normally it's guys, okay? Guys, I'm not trying to pick on us, but I mean, normally it's like, oh yeah, well, one time I, you know, okay, all right, you win. So, so, so pride, it blinds us. Now, letter A in your notes, and I want you to mark this down, that pride is blinded by self-importance. So why do we get blinded, okay? Why, why can't we see our own problems? And, and, and this is, um, I have two friends um, who I keep in touch with, um, three actually, one I don't keep in touch with, uh, but that's not my decision, right? That was his. Uh, but I have three really good friends who I grew up with, and I chose to be a pastor, and they chose not to believe in God. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a burden to me, I, 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 if I'm being honest with you, but I will say this, um, to, 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 and, and if they ever listen, okay, I'm just going to call them out. Because they know I'm love them, okay. But 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 Alan and Andrew specifically are guys who who man they were they were they were my they were my buds, right? I mean, we did everything together as kids. Those guys decided that they had a clear enough perspective of their life to live life on their own. So they decided, hey, I don't need God, I don't need the Bible, okay. And, and now, okay, that, that, that we're getting older and our kids are getting older and our, and our relationships are, are kind of having a, a, little, a few stages to them now, we're starting to realize, wait a second, regardless of what you believe about God, regardless of what you subscribe to, there are some irrefutable laws in life that cannot be ignored. One of these is when you bring yourself into a state of self-importance to the point that everyone else is devalued in your perspective, watch out. Watch out. So what does he say? Now, this is not my philosophy. This is straight from this text. I want you to see in verse number 4. So we already read the first three verses, but in verse number 4, it's aver- last part of verse number 4. Three, it says, but in lowliness of mind, we already talked about what that means, humility. Let each esteem, okay, that's to evaluate other better than themselves. So, so I'm just to assume, okay, that there's value in you even when I don't see it. Even when I can't perceive it. Esteem them better than, than themselves. Oh, great. Here we go. You know, this is, this is where it really grinds against us, right? Because he doesn't just leave it there. He says in verse number four, look not every man on his own things, which is natural to do, okay? But every man and woman also on the things of others. So he said, your, predispos- your predisposition in life should not be me. It should be you. It should be not, look at me, which is what everything in life says for us to do, like post, 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 look, 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 you know, see, 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 I'm right here, I'm right here, right? Um, attention, we, we, we crave it, we're addicts, right? Busyness and attention are the, are the, are the choice addictions of our day, and so we, we're just constantly wanting everyone to, to, to look at us, and Paul says, wait a second, God has it reversed, not look at me, it's I want to look at you. I want to. I want to be into you. I, I, I want to see what is interesting about you. Now, what what he says here in this passage is is, is he's he's doing a contrast. He says um, he says value others, look to others, focus on others, and, and really what he's saying is what you're really wanting to do is you're wanting to place the weight of of your focus and your attention on someone else, on others. Now, the, the contrast of this is the word vainglory. Now, the word vainglory is made up of two words, okay? Uh, vain uh, is, is this kino. Doxa uh, is, is this word for glory, okay? You know, we, we understand the word glory means weight. It means value. We've talked about that before. Um, but, but when it says kinodoxia, it it's saying that there's an empty conceit. Okay, so some of you know uh, sign language, okay? The, the, the sign for this would be this, okay? <laughs> Empty upstairs, okay? There's just nothing, nothing going on. Now, you think that you're, you're fulfilling yourself. You, you think that it's happening, but really, it, it's an airhead moment, okay? Um, why? Because there's a the false sense of, of self-importance. When we lift ourselves up in pride, we think that, that it's, it's going to fill us, but, but it won't. It actually just, there's a lot of volume, no value. A lot of volume, no value. And so what does he say is the key? Well, the key is, is counterintuitive. He says, you, you, in order to be filled up with something of value, you must pour out what value you have. So, so what we think is, is, is the thing is we got to hold on to whatever we think is valuable. Our time our effort, right? And so God says, wait wait a second, you pour out what I've given you of value, and I'll pour in something that you can't lose, something that's not empty, okay? Now, he gives us a great example of this, and and, and it's the example of Epaphroditus, and it's at the end of the chapter, okay? I'm not going to take the time to read it um, just because I, I want you to read it on your own, uh, but basically what he's saying in these five verses from verse 25 to 30 is that Epaphroditus came to pour himself out to them and the Apostle Paul. And, and, he, and he's trying to prove the fact that God designed the soul to be filled only when it is being poured out into others. Only when you're in Epaphroditus, only when you are sick and on your deathbed and you are, not, you are so distraught, not because you feel bad, but because someone else knows that you're sick and they feel bad. That's the Epaphroditus story. And when you read that this week, I really hope you'll understand that's the type of friend, that's the type of husband, that's the type of wife, that's the type of person that God has called each of us to be is an Epaphroditus type of friend, an Epaphroditus husband, someone who, who when we're hurting, we're not worried about ourselves, we're worried about someone else. See, when we are if fixated on our pain, we will lose sight of the purpose for our pain. When we are so passionate about relieving the pain, we get so self-focused that we can't see anyone else's pain. And what we forget is that that person's pain in front of you is the key to relieving your own pain. If you will pour yourself into someone else who's hurting, there is a gift that is given. It is called the gift of grace. It is the gift of help. It is the gift of renewal that God says only comes when we're, when we're self-sacrificing, when we're willing to go beyond our pride, go beyond our self-importance and say, no, I want to I pour out into you. And so this is the Epaphroditus story. The fact that he was poured out into the church at Philippi and selfishness is seeing our will and desire as more important than God's will and desires. By the way, let me just tell you something. That when we're selfish, do you know what we're saying? We're saying that what we have and what we possess is more important than your need. That me hanging on to my time or my effort or my resources or whatever you might need, if I am too stingy and selfish and prideful to pour into you. I'm saying that what my needs are are so much more important than what your needs are. Do you see that? So pride blinds us to our own really, really disgusting self importance. Let me just put the pressure on me because I know it's getting thick this morning. Okay? <laughs> Sorry. But this is just the passage that we're in, and it's really, really important, okay? So I don't, I don't say this to, to wound anyone in here or make it uncomfortable. I say this because I needed to hear this. I needed to understand. Because you know what? Every single day, I struggle with the battle of my own needs winning over someone else's my own needs, my own desires, what I want to talk about over what Danielle wants to talk about, what I want to do over what God wants to do. And you know what's crazy? Here I am, pastor, and sometimes God's trying to tell me to do something, and I'm like, no, 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 God, let me <laughs> let me tell you what you want me to do. Like, no, really, God. I mean, you don't want me to go there because that doesn't make any sense, I mean, I know you've laid it on my heart and someone said it. And I'm like, well, that couldn't be an accident. And then like, you know, other things happen. And I, I mean, I know everything's pointing to helping that person. But you know what? I really think you want me to go over here. And it's like, really? And what is the root of it? The root of it is pride. And the, and, and the source of pride is our own self-importance. So how do we break out of this? How do we break out of this? Well, if you say, I can't pour out anymore, I've poured out everything I can. Now, none of us in here can say that. I'm just being honest with you, okay? None of us can say, I've poured out everything I can. But if you have, okay, if you're pouring out, and that's something that you're doing, you don't need to work on, then I want you to see number two, because a, a humble spirit, okay, or humility sees serving as being most important. I mean, it is, it is, it is the antithesis. It's the opposite of what pride sees, okay? In in fact, pride doesn't see anything other than self. Humility sees serving, giving, pouring out as an importance. Now, now you say, how can I change my mind so that that is the mind that I have? Thank you for asking. Look at verse number five. Look at verse number five, because it answers that wonderful question by saying, let this mind be in you. This is the mind that you already had, not the prideful mind, but let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Listen, it's amazing to me how the life that Jesus lived, if we live that life, everything else falls into place. And if we don't live that life, everything else falls apart. You're saying, wait a second, hold up. That's where I take you to task because I'm trying to live for Jesus and everything's falling apart. Let me just say something to you sometimes we label falling apart when god says no that's falling into place sometimes we say "Oh, wait a second that's not that that wasn't supposed to happen and god said if you only knew what was going on here if you only knew the purpose of your pain if you only knew what i was doing you see what i'm doing is i'm doing surgery on your thinking on your attitude I am taking your attitude out and I'm placing my attitude, my desire, my perspective. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who? Who? Jesus. Being in the form of God. You say, why do we believe in Jesus for salvation? It's because he was God, is God, will always be God. So he was God, he is God, but thought it not robbery, meaning It wasn't, he didn't, him coming down to be man did not make him any less God. That's why we can believe on him. That's why when he died, he died for all the sins of the world. Why? Because he was not just a finite being dying for one man's sins. He was an infinite being dying for my sins. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. Why? Because he was God in the flesh. He was equal with God, but... He made himself of no reputation. He, he could have come down as the ruler of the world. Now, one day he will be the ruler of the world. But I will tell you, right now, he is offering the grace of a God-man who came without reputation and, and a God-man who came and ta- took to him the form of a servant. Now, the word form here is the word where we get morph. Okay, it's actually, that's the word morph, okay, not murph, morph, okay, is a Greek word that literally means an external manifestation, nature, the, the nature of something, the shape of something, the condition. But, but, but what he's trying to say is that form is not just your outside. It is what is inside of you shaping what is outside so it's not an outside shaping something on the inside it's something on the inside shaping what's on the outside and let me just say something to you about this verse go back to the verse that that when he says in 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 verse number seven okay that he took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men what he was saying is God himself loves to serve mankind That is who he is on the outside, but it is also who he is on the inside. God is wanting to serve God is wanting to minister to you through the person of Jesus Christ through the spirit of Jesus Christ that was left us after Jesus ascended into heaven and so he said pour this mind into you if you can't pour out anymore then what do you pour in you pour in the mind of Jesus Christ the heart the attitude of Jesus Christ you pour that in and the example he gives is in verse number 19 through verse number 22 Verse number 24. And it's the example of Timothy. In fact, uh put this up. He says that that Timotheus or Timothy uh, is gonna come to you, verse 19. But verse 20, he says, that I have no man like-minded. So I have no man who's poured in the mind of Christ about being a servant, about being humble. I have no one like that but Timothy. Timothy is the one who is like-minded. Timothy is the one who has poured in the mind of Christ. Timothy is the one with a humble heart, with a servant mind. Timothy is that one who has morphed into looking like, acting like Jesus Christ, not just on the outside, but on the inside. And let me contrast this with pride, humility with pride, and then we'll go to the next point. And we'll be done. There's something about pride that, that really makes us feel good at first and gives us so many regrets later. You see, pride, it, it, it has this way of, of puffing up, okay, uh, much like a balloon. And so it, when you blow a balloon up, a little more, Actually, this person's really prideful, (laughs) okay? The, The more you blow, the bigger it gets. The more you blow air into a balloon, the more puffed up it becomes. But the thing about a balloon is the more you blow into it, the less stable it becomes. Now, I realize that some people have a fear of balloons, and that's not a joke. That's a reality, so I'm not going to pop this balloon in here, okay? So you can rest at ease, okay? But let me just say something about this balloon. It is not able to handle any pressure, very little. So I will not apply the pressure for those of you that this is your phobia, okay? Okay? It's, it's very flimsy in nature. The other thing that's interesting about this balloon is it has the shape of something more sturdy. Where is that? I always lose my props, you know. It's, what, what in the world? Uh, it's gone. It was there and now it's gone. Um, I'm going to ask one of the guys if they can help me because that will that'll, that'll help me to, to know uh, where this is at. But it has the shape of something with value. But a balloon, what is a balloon? Like five cents, maybe, four cents? The reality is pride makes you feel like everything is is okay. Pride looks on the outside like it could be stable. I mean, you can fill a balloon with ice and maybe it's a little stable, but then it's not really the balloon that's stable. It's the ice that's stable. Do you see what I'm saying? So this in and of itself is not stable. This in and of itself is, is not but but if I were to use, oh, here it is. Um, if I were to use something like this, okay, this is very stable. So it has about the same shape. It has about the same uh, look on the outside. But, it, but that there's something inside of this that allows it to be incredibly stable. In fact, I can't stomp on this balloon. Otherwise, it will lose its shape. But, I mean, literally, if, if I stomp on this as, as hard as I can, okay, it, it maintains its shape. It's very durable. It, it lasts. It, it's, it's able. But the thing about humility is not just its durability. It's, it's not just its, its ability to, to go through different situations and, and, and be compressed and, 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 and last the test of time. It's not just that. It's that it is constantly being filled with something that the substance on the inside okay, is able to endure. So it's not about the external. In fact, the reason I'm using this ball is the exterior is coming off. And it's revealing what is on the inside. Now you'll notice on this ball, it doesn't, it's not whole, right? There's not, it's not full, but it's revealing the fact that this plastic on the outside is not what matters. It is the foam on the inside. Now let me just tell you something. That humility is the foam on the inside. Humility is the heart of saying, God, I, I just want your plan in me. I don't care what it looks like on the outside. And the problem is we want the balloon life because it's a lot easier, it's a lot faster, and it looks really nice. But let me just tell you something about this life. The life of pride, the life of, of, of arrogance, self-importance, it will never last. It will never last. It last for a little while. It'll never last. It's empty. So you say, man, I, I feel empty. And, and, or, or you say, man, I want humility, but, I, but I'm not whole. Let me tell you, you can still be humble if you're not whole. And the, and, and the moment you feel like, oh, yeah, I'm doing good at this humble thing, you just lost it. You just lost it. Why? Because humility is not a self-achievement. It is something that God brings us to through our self-abasement. And so it's not just a mind, it is, it's a heart and mind, but it's also action, it's obedience. So number two is a humble obedience. So the key is not just your attitude, but it is your obedience. And the key thought from this last one, I don't, I don't want to belabor the last point, but, but we need to put ourselves aside long enough to put others first. True humility just says, you know what, I don't want to put someone else first, but in this moment I need to. In this moment, I can't afford to be first here. I can't afford to put my idea first. I'm going to actually listen to your idea. Amazing what happens in a relationship when there's not a fight to who can say what. There's actually a fight to say, no, 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 you go. No, no, you go. Like, like no, no, this is your, no, I want to hear from you. I want to hear your side. That's humility. And so it's not just humble attitude, it's humble obedience. This is found in verse number 8 through verse number 18, and in letter A, we we see that verse number 8 through verse number 12, humble obedience brings glory to God. It brings God glory. It brings glory to God. It brings God glory. There's a wonderful story here of God receiving glory in the person of Jesus Christ, and if that mind of humility is in us, he receives glory from us. I want you to see this. Verse number, verse number uh, we already read verse number 8. Let's read verse number 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus Christ, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, that's us, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, so he's talking to church family, he's talking to people who know uh, God, the people he loves in the church here. He says, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this does not say to work for your salvation, okay? Okay. This is saying that there's something being put inside you by Jesus Christ and now you're going to work out what has been put inside. Jesus has poured in his forgiveness, his salvation. Now you're going to work it out. The reality of most people is that we struggle not with the idea of Christianity. We struggle with the implementation of Christianity. In fact, uh, G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors and uh, theologian uh, of yesteryear, he, he said this. He said that Christianity has not been tried and found difficult. Christianity has been tried or has been found difficult and left untried. Many people don't try Christianity and say, oh yeah, man, I tried it. I, I did everything that God wanted me to do, and then it just it wasn't enough. Now, many times it's just you start, you start, and you're like, oh, wow, whoa, okay, this is not right. See, because Christianity, in the walk of, of humility and obedience, it's hard up front, but it's so much better in the end. It's difficult at first, surrender, obedience, following Jesus. It's difficult at first. I'm not, not going to lie to you. It's tough at first. But when you surrender your life to him, your creator, everything else starts to fall into place that you couldn't have put into place yourself. And so there's a humble obedience. There's a humble obedience here. And I want you to see that it brings glory to God. It brings glory to God. But um, in, in, in the key thought here is that God receives glory through actions, the actions of those who are willing uh, to to live, life, a live, live a life that pleases Him. We were and are created for His good pleasure. Uh, we bring glory to God uh, through that. But, but the reality is, and we're going to study this the next three or four weeks, th- the theme of this book is joy. And humble obedience uh, brings you joy. It brings you joy. Now, the reality is that I can't conjure up joy. Happiness is what happens to you. Joy is what Jesus gives. And so if you forget everything else that's said this morning or this entire revival, if you could just remember this one verse. And it's verse number 13. By far one of my top five, four, four or five verses in the Bible. And it's this verse, verse number 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I was made to bring God pleasure, but God works in me so that I can bring him pleasure. Sometimes I don't want to bring God pleasure. I want to bring myself pleasure. But it's God that works in me to bring him pleasure. Sometimes I don't bring God pleasure. And when that happens, it's not God working in me. It's me working in me. So it's God that works in you for his good pleasure. Can we say that verse together? For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Friend, that is the key. You say, I don't know if God's working in me. If you don't know if God's working in you, then you probably do not have a relationship with him. If you do not have a relationship with him, you probably don't want anything that he offers. It's probably a little bit, maybe even uncomfortable for you to be here today. And I I apologize for that. I I don't want that. But I, I will tell you that the life that Jesus gives is a life of him working in you and through you. And if you allow him into your life, by the way, love never forces anything. It's always an invitation. So Jesus is making an invitation to a relationship with you. And if you receive that invitation today then he will work in you to allow you to live the life that he designed you to live. You know, your creator designed you a certain way. And life is horrible when we go against that design, whether in marriage or parenting, any, any way in life, if we go against his design. And so, humble obedience, it brings us joy. He talks about this joy of bringing God pleasure, and he says to do all things without murmurings or disputings. So the, the, the joyful part is, is when we're doing things with thanksgiving and, and gratitude and, and, and with a good spirit, with a good attitude, the mind of Christ, um, then, then we'll be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. Meaning we, we won't need any rebuke. We won't need any correction because we're living the life that God designed in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Now the word crooked here is the word where we get scoliosis. It's the scolios, it's the word, the Greek word. And it means curve, winding, unreasonable, cause for frustration and happiness. But I want you to know that, the, that the, the core meaning of this is the thought that something that's crooked cannot handle the pressure like something that's straight. I learned this the hard way um, a few years ago. Uh, I was doing, uh, I was helping with a youth conference uh, here in, in town, and, uh, and I I, we brought out a, we were going to do a dunk contest, and we brought out this um, this hoop, and it was brand new. We'd set it up, bolted it together. This is the exact hoop that it was, um, and, and and we were excited. The first teenager that jumped off of a trampoline and went to go dunk it, this whole piece snapped off. I mean, the whole thing broke. It was a bust. We We couldn't, we couldn't. Figure out why it happened. And and one of the engineers in the crowd walked up to me. And he said, hey, next time you do that, try a straight hoop. I was, well, why? Because something that's straight and narrow, something that's right up and down, it can take someone jumping on it and hanging on it. But when it's crooked, go back to the other one, when it's tilted, when when it's at a slant, It can't handle the pressure of their weight. Let me just say something. The thing about our generation is it's a crooked and perverse generation. The reason it is is because it was never designed to hold the weight of the pressures of this life. The life that God has called us to live is not a crooked and perverse life. It is a humble life of obedience to Him. You say, I can't really I don't really have the power to go on the straight and narrow. I'm I'm not really on the straight and narrow right now. Let me just tell you something. That this is what the verse says, that he will allow us the the ability through humility to get back on the straight and narrow. You see, the humble way is not crowded, but it is the quickest route to joy. And when we go right to the mind of Christ, look at what happens in, in verse number, I think it's 16. Guys, put up verse number 16 for me. It says this, holding forth the word of life. So it's all about the word of life. By the way, this is talking about this this book right here. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain. You don't want to climb the ladder and realize it's leaning on the wrong building. Neither labored in vain, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice. That means poured out. That that word offered means poured out, the sacrifice, the service of your faith. I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. True joy comes when we realize that Christ gives us the power to take humble action. I want you to see the takeaway and then we'll pray. That revival, a revival of a humble action, albeit just one, or any humble action, the revival of humble action produces God-powered traction. You want traction in your life, traction in your relationship. It's not a, health, a self-help theory; it is a God-help theory, and this is what God promises to do for those who humble themselves enough to obey Him. First Peter one, or First Peter five, verse number five says this: "If all of you subject one another and clothed with humility." For God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace, he giveth empowerment, divine empowerment to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. We heard about that mighty hand last night. The mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You want to go up? The way is down. Humble yourselves before God today. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.